Ding 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 And welcome to this week's episode of DF Direct Weekly. I'm John Lindemann and I am joined by two colleagues. This is a different show than usual because we're missing uh, the main man himself, Richard. Instead, I have with me uh, Alex Patalia. Hey there, John. And of course, our other mystery colleague today. I'm excited to talk about this week's news. Oh, yes. Uh, our next colleague is, of course, The Annoying Thing, followed by Tom Morgan. Welcome. <laughs> Hi there. How's it going? <laughs> I thought you were going to say followed by Crazy Frog. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> no, no. You know, that's that's how we do it here. So unfortunately, there will be no what's in the box, Rich, this week. But hopefully that'll return very, very soon. Uh, this week's a little bit light on news, though, gentlemen. Uh, but we have some interesting things to discuss. So, you know, we're going to talk about patches of things like Mortal Shell, which got patched on PS5. Tom's going to weigh in on the cyberpunk thing. Uh, we have to talk about Alex's new PC upgrade. Touch on Crisis Remastered for PS5, Oddworld Soulstorm, uh, and a bunch of other stuff along the way as well, including the questions from the community. So, gentlemen, without further ado, shall we get started? Let's. Let's start. So, topic one on uh, this week's news list, Mortal Shell. Tom, you took a look at this not too long ago. It's a Dark Souls-ish style game. Um, the developers just released a patch which ups the resolution on the game on PlayStation 5, and I think they may have just made a huge mistake here. Yeah. So, like, why don't you fill us in on what's going on? Uh, so, we... The, the game shipped at um, a lower resolution, basically, than the Xbox Series X version. And, you know, people were a bit up in arms. You know, it was 1440p versus 1800p on Xbox. And, you know, this isn't the biggest deal, really. Uh, I think we talked about it last time I was on here, that resolution doesn't matter so much, you know. And uh, this is one of the classic cases where there are so many things, tricks going on behind the scenes that kind of you can definitely pass with 1440p, it's no worries. So um, uh, two weeks later, um, the developer's gone back in and just added 1800p to PS5, and it's tanked the performance. Like So this is so. if I recall originally, when we first looked at it, it ran better on PS5 because of the lower resolution. Yeah. And we were actually commenting that they should reduce the resolution on the Xbox version to help that run better. But instead, they actually went in the opposite direction and increased the resolution on PS5. <sighs> and now the game runs really badly. And uh, I would be pretty angry if I was playing this game on PS5, to be honest, because the current level of performance is just not good enough. Yeah, It's, uh, it's uh, one of those moments where even if they add in dynamic resolution scaling, based upon Tom's performance numbers here, uh, essentially it's always at 1800p flat. It's always usually below 60 fps yeah it's like really often so it would constantly with drs on it'd be constantly 
uh, be shifting resolution below 1800p, which makes, unless you look at the sky, uh, I guess. So it, it really just uh, makes me wonder what the purpose of this is mm, at yeah. all. <laughs> I just I just don't get it. For me, um, this isn't even like good VRR territory kind of thing. No. This is just like not great. And I would really prefer if the developers either stuck with a flat resolution like 1440p that they had last time, uh, which was fine, or for those who like this new level of performance or something like that, maybe just offer two modes, a 1440p mode, which is great, mm. and then a you like low frame rates mode for those who don't, Yeah, whatever. And it's funny because yeah. they, they do have that on the <clears throat> Series S version. Like the this update does add uh, sort of cinematic mode and a performance mode. And that mm. does exactly what it says. And I, I gave it a go <laughs> and I was like, wow, uh, okay, they've nailed it. Um, uh, so it's a little bit mm. weird. And I like, you know, it's it's it seems like such an easy fix as well. Like 1800p on... Uh, Series X has DRS, so why not just, you know? And uh, if we do a like, I think I've given uh, Audi, our editor here, uh, <laughs> footage of this, but you can see in side by sides. There's a, uh, you know, Xbox delivers like it's really solid. In fact, it's better than it was like before the patch because it used to stutter and hitch all the way as we ran through this uh, section, like uh, towards uh, this uh, this dungeon, and it. It's now sorted, and they've fixed the black crush on PS5, sorted. Uh, so I've added a mode on Series S, uh, mode toggle switch, sorted. So the only thing that they've huh. really messed up is the fact they didn't add DRS, because I'm pretty convinced that if they gave it some sort of range to work with to prevent frame rate drops, be sorted. Uh, I'm pretty sure that would be the case. But uh, Yeah, seems that way. Yeah. So I guess our prescription here is to please add DRS or just allow the resolution mode to drop or something like that. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I mean, this is just a greater point in general. I, I think we all agree that a stable frame rate is more important than targeting a higher pixel count. Uh, yeah. Especially in this case, we're, we're testing some new methods for uh, determining the quality of an image. Mm -hmm. And we actually ran both 1440p and 1800p footage through this. And it suggests that the variation that the AI or the, the computer can pick up, um, it's so minimal <laughs> to the point where it doesn't really matter because it's a low contrast game with a lot of TAA. Yeah, yeah, it's like... uh, so it's not to say that resolution never matters. It definitely can, yeah. but in this case it's not worth the performance hit. So I kind of feel like that's closing the book on Mortal Shell and Tom will keep watching it. Why Mortal Shell? I don't know. I think I think you like this game, Tom, I, I, but it, it is interesting to watch. <laughs> I, I, it's fine, isn't it? I don't know if you've played it, but Mortal Shell is... Uh, it's interesting just because it's a kind of a Dark Souls uh, clone, not clone, but mm -hmm. look-alike. Uh, it pays yeah. tribute to it in... A very, a very dedicated way, and uh, pays tribute. Yeah, yes. homage. It pays tribute and steals men's souls. <laughs> I mean. But it's uh, it's handled by a relatively small team, and uh, I think it's just impressive for that. But I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. yeah. All right then. Well, uh, moving on. The next order of business. Now we're talking <laughs> about Outriders. So this game just came out. I haven't played it. I'm not really that interested in it still nope. at this point. Um, but Tom has checked it out. And I thought, it I don't know if we're actually going to be producing a full video for this, but what better place to talk about it 
than right here because apparently the frame rate has improved. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like the the wonder of the patch. You know, you've got. Um, <laughs> we we did address. We looked at the demo build, which was kind of a, a sample of the first chapter. You had like a couple of side missions, and uh, we could take it to the end of the first main uh, mission, which ended in a very old school video game styley boss. Uh, we had to use cool. your superpowers to kind of. Uh, yeah, and it, uh, you know, I think I did that video with you, John. Um, yeah, we looked at it. Um, I mean, the game looks looks cool. It's just, um, I don't know. It's it's this whole loot design, I, online focus. It completely turned me off, and I just don't have interest in playing it's, it. It's not my style but, of game. But one thing I remember back. That's okay. That, it, yeah, <laughs> one thing I remember about that video you guys did though on the pre-release version was, I think it was kind of another Mortal Shell kind of instance where the Xbox Series X version targeted a higher resolution That's it. for no for no good reason uh, at its own detriment to performance almost uh, what is it like now Tom uh, well I haven't gone into the specifics like literally just oh, okay. surface level uh, I've got okay. my own projects this week uh, that I've got to get on with on with but it is definitely uh, improved like across the board like whatever they've done it's <clears> kind of evened out the performance with about within about a couple of weeks yeah, since we looked at that demo. That's and good. Uh, you know what? That game, it's pretty good. It's better than a lot of people okay. think it will be going into it. It's still mm -hmm. a bit sort of a uh, old school in its design thinking. You know, there's specific moments where you'll kind of approach an open barren area and there's a, you know, kind of an, a press A to jump over this barrier to get to it. And you think, <laughs> okay. I sense a boss coming. I'm just gonna hop over that. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it kind of feels uh, charming in that way. Like it's very okay. familiar, and uh, actually the core gameplay uh, works really well. So I was really digging cool. it. But I don't think John was so. Convinced. All right, Tom. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll give it a download. And give it a shot. I, I think just the, for you. <laughs> I think one of the things that may make me load it up on PC is that it does have DLSS integrated. So. Maybe just to see what that looks like. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So that's pretty surface level, but it sounds like they have improved things since that original beta demo that we looked at, as you might expect and hope. Uh, but I'm glad to see that the game is running better than it was back then. So mm -hmm. yeah, good on them for, for taking care of uh, the performance. I, I have heard that it had some server issues at launch, which caused some people to be very upset. Mm -hmm. uh, but I understand that it seems to be running okay now, but at least on the technical side, things are looking pretty good. On, so on that, that note, we will be revisiting it, but we're waiting for the oh, cross-gen. We're waiting for the cross-play. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 because it's not working right now, um, according to oh. reports online. Uh, we Because we want to do one of those Modern Warfare, PUBG-style oh, yeah. cross um Syncing of the screens uh, yeah. analysis things. So, so I guess I will be playing it then. All right, oh, <laughs> all, all four of us maybe. Like okay, yeah. that, that sounds fun. We'll give it a shot. Um, so yeah, we'll be revisiting Outriders uh, fairly soon. It sounds like. Okay, next order of business. Uh, let's get the, let's do a quickie here. Cyberpunk patch one point two. Uh, based on the numbers the videos got, uh, people still care a lot about this. Mm. So, um. Again, man, Tom, we're, we have you here today for all of this because you're just like headlining the news here. 
Uh, tell us a little bit about your final thoughts on uh, the cyberpunk situation as it stands. It's a super weird one. I thought um, going into this one, uh, I didn't expect much. And actually, I'd focused on the base consoles because I thought, uh, all right, well, maybe there's something. Those are the ones most in need. But it turns out PS4 Pro is the console that actually benefited the, the most mm. again. And the, the story, the headline really ended up being PS4 Pro is now more playable than it's ever been. And it's kind of reaching the point. I didn't say this in the video, but it's reaching the point where it's approaching Series S in terms of general St stability. stability at 30. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. We're impressed, aren't we? Uh, what does Crazy Frog think? <laughs> what would he think? Uh, what would Crazy Frog do? It's like WWC. You pretty much just do that. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm amazed you've got that. <laughs> Did Audi send Oh, that's you? actually... No, that's actually thanks to one of our patrons. Oh, no. Audie. Oh, no. And it's uh, so, like, can I send this to you? And, I, and then Audie very kindly gave him my address. And sure enough, yesterday we opened a box and there he was. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly something. Oh, but, that's good. Um, oh, that's good. But yeah, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. Yeah, Sorry. Cyberpunk. That. Um, uh, so, yeah, the, the weird thing is that they... Uh, they seem to have just rejigged uh, the way streaming works in that game, which we always oh. deep down kind of knew was the issue. Uh, a bottleneck, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on some level, uh, there's been a reprioritization of how assets streaming in. And in the process of changing that, the net result for us when we compare side by side is everything just loads in slower, like, or not at all, <laughs> uh, by the time you passed it. So, zebra crossings don't appear in that first shootout then uh, whole lights so it yeah so it's effectively rather than like slowing the game down to make to load as much in as it can it's just like deferring it to the side basically it's like and what rather than like bogging down the cpu and the storage <laughs> yeah it's interesting it is i i really didn't expect um to not be that bothered by it the only thing that which stood out is very weird uh, is that the lights on certain roads and um, certain shootouts as well on PS4 just seem to be outright missing. So it's just mm. like, oh, I remember this area being a lot brighter in the, when I first played it, but uh, in this new it's, one. Uh, I see, guess that's the thing is you got to make these cuts yeah, to get that like, performance back. Yeah. For like consoles like this where we just doubted from the, ever since John saw it years ago, just doubted, what do you, what do, you do to get this on consoles? And I guess we're starting to slowly see that a bit better through the PS4 and PS4 Pro version here. One thing I'm curious about is, I mentioned it in the last week's video, but it is a little weird that they aren't prioritizing uh, similar cuts or calls for the Xbox version. I don't know if this is an oversight or if they're just trying to get the game back on the PlayStation Store quicker. Yeah, I know uh, what you mean. Something like that. So um, I would imagine these kind of changes are going to come to the other base and uh, pro versions for Xbox. And then uh, in the future, I guess, uh, Xbox Series X and S and PlayStation 5 will have their own separate version anyway. So they won't yeah, be affected. Yeah, late this year, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. I think you're right, Alex. Like, it sounds like smart delivery uh, is the only thing that, well, there's a couple of things that might be influencing it, but there is, is, a, is a factor because smart delivery kind of uh, 
sort of determines uh, how it will play on the newer consoles. And uh, if that base code is changed radically uh, to suit the older ones, um, you know, it will have a, a sort of domino effect, if you like. Um, Maybe. Possibly. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, um, it's something that, yeah, it just seems odd. Uh, yeah, PS4 and PS4 Pro seem to just uh, have their own logic. But yeah, I, I, I'm kind of optimistic on this one now. Like, uh, if Pro can do what it's doing and get to the performance it's at, uh, it's not still not amazing. Still had two like two crashes right, right. and uh, you know full on system level crashes. Uh, sorry, crashes to the system. Then um, but yeah, if they could fix that, then surely the the Xbox One X can sort of be tuned up and get into shape, and everything will be all right. Yeah. Now. One thing I want to mention before we kind of close this out was uh, I saw some people and social media sphere <clears throat> kind of being really negative about these changes on the PlayStation consoles or at like PlayStation 4 Pro, like you showed really well in the video, Tom. Um, and, you know, honestly, it's really cool when a game can get optimizations that are practically invisible or are purely programmatic, like stylistically or something like mm. that. But a lot of the time, optimizing means cutting away things as judiciously or as uh, yep. you know as smartly as possible, and in the case here where um, we can see on the PC side how expensive this game is, uh, it requires just more visible cuts as a result on the console side from these old, really old consoles. Now they're really old. Now, like we shouldn't be yeah. uh, uh, trying to make people feel better about the PlayStation Four Pro. The CPU I, thing's terrible. You know, I like, would say that we're actually in a better spot now than we were if you look back at the last gen when yeah, right? playstation 3 and 360 were superseded by <laughs> ps4 and xbox one uh the games that were being released across both generations were typically awful yeah on those machines i mean i think a shadow of mordor is always one of our favorite examples but even stuff <laughs> like far cry 5 and uh, various others they didn't run well at all. They ran worse than cyberpunk runs. Yeah, let's, they let's did. be honest. And they they looked dramatically worse, or were missing entire uh, features. Yeah, like sh uh, Shadow of Wardor or whatever it's called. Uh, you know, it didn't even have the Nemesis system on last gen. But know? but I guess the difference this time though is that we didn't get native next gen versions of cyberpunk yet, unlike what we saw with the last cross-gen period. So that's kind of where this differs, but at least on those new machines, the game does run much better overall. So it's not a complete loss, but still times have changed. Um, and I do understand the frustration for sure. And I'm actually now still curious to see what it's going to take to get the game back on the PlayStation store for sale digitally, because I think it's still missing. Isn't it, Tom? Uh, it's uh, as of writing, uh, I believe so. And also, you're paying a lot of money for this game still. Like, to have a game on the store shelves which will crash is just unacceptable right now. Like, I can't... Yeah, you can't give it a pass on that. So, yeah, fingers crossed for all those people who've, uh, you know, clung dear to it and hope for the best that it can actually be, uh, you know, a really smooth, perform uh, smooth playing game. <clears throat> all right, so that's it for Cyberpunk for the moment. Let's move on. Okay, the next topic actually came in pretty hot. This was something that Will Judd posted yesterday on the Slack, and Alex was like, hey, I want to say something about this real quick. So essentially AMD is pat... They, they, they posted a patent which outlines a GPU with active bridge 
chiplet design. And the site hexus.net had a nice sort of report on this. Um, so what what's your takeaway here, Alex? Um, I just recommend everyone look at the article if they can find it online. Uh, if not, we'll link it. Um, and basically the idea is borrowing a bit from what AMD has been doing in the CPU space for a while now uh, to increase the computational capacity of their chips by uh, kind of attaching chiplets to the substrate and like having multiple discrete CPUs communicating with each other across some sort of interface. Um, and this is the first time we've seen the idea really attached to the GPU. And it's uh, yeah. really interesting because one of the parts that makes uh, uh, GPU and CPU design for these larger size, uh, you know, like when you start scaling them up, is that uh, as a part of like the amount of like viable chips you have from a wafer of like really large chips, like let's like, say like RTX 3090 size chips, um, is lower. Uh, and chiplet designs help mitigate that a bit by allowing, you know, smaller things uh, being combined together, so less failure rates. Yep. Um, this is good for like production. Uh, and, it, and it ends up being cheaper. The product could end up being cheaper as, as a result. I really like that. Uh, another we desperately need, I'd say, with the current trend of GPU yeah, prices. Yeah, right, right, right. And um, uh, another interesting thing about this is uh, on the CPU side, uh, at least for Ryzen, uh, there, ha there is uh, a slight uh, performance penalty by communicating across this interface a bit. Um, and his, it's, got, it's gotten better through iterations of Ryzen over time. Uh, but seeing this applied to the GPU is very interesting because the GPU is a wholly different beast. And we've already seen uh, differences, you know, we've already seen in the CPU space uh, multiple GPUs working in, uh, together for a long period right, of time. Right. Just very different way it was done. And this is more, this would almost be a bit like going backwards in time to the original SLI interface. Um, and I, uh, except for it wouldn't be splitting up the work, I don't think so, uh, the same way across these GPUs, but it would present to the developer as one monolithic GPU. And the idea is very, very interesting. And I hope it ends up coming into fruition uh, because it's just another way to scale GPUs to be bigger over time. And, you know, I'm, I'm all up about that. Uh, I just, I'm just a little worried, though, that it could uh, have like slight performance cakes. That's the only thing I would be worried about, like because it's it's not what is usually done. Yeah, that's true. It yeah. feels like it's time for the Voodoo Five to return, though. Yeah, <laughs> the VSA One Hundred in a monster configuration. Let's do get, it. Like slap a whole bunch of put sixty four on a board and call it a day. Yeah, and, you know you're all you're all good, man. Like three D effects ahead of the game. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's a really cool thing, and I I do hope we see it. Uh, I also do see hope. Uh, due, due to things like NVLink getting probably more integrated over time. I do hope we see a return of uh, a very different SLI at some point. SLI is completely yeah. dead, uh, and it deserves to die at this point. Uh, but I, I would like to see them bring back a while, like a year ago, maybe it was a little bit longer, they actually had a hidden SFR mode in the driver that worked across NVLink on like RTX 2000 series oh. GPUs. And it, worked surprisingly well from what I remember reading, but then they like stripped that out of the driver. Uh, so maybe yeah. they were just testing waters. Um, so I would like to see a return of multi-GPU through like a chiplet designer, something something that's just better than AFR, which was, I didn't like. At yeah, the AFR was a terrible idea, I think. And it yeah. ultimately just didn't work with the way modern 
rendering engines function anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it always had its own drawbacks. So, um, yeah, yeah. we'll have to, we'll have to monitor this and see what comes out of this and when the first products start shipping with this design. So mm-hmm. uh, did it say anything in the article about when we can expect to see this come nope. to fruition? No, so, I, I guess it's just so. a patent. So it's yeah. pretty early. Uh, okay. That's cool. I, so, all right, uh, let's move on then. Last news piece I want to touch on real quick is uh, this week they announced Pac-Man 99. And this is a a new installment in in the 99 (laughs) games for the Switch, you know, where they had like Tetris and and they did, I guess, Mario 35. Yeah. yeah. But um, so this is essentially Pac-Man with 98 other people. And like with Tetris and such, you can see what the other players are doing in a bunch of little tiny instance windows. Uh, and it's like a miniaturized play field, but it's enough to kind of gauge the position of the of, of your opponent and the ghosts. Huh. Uh, so it's basically like this live play where you're playing against a ton of other people and, and sort of like a battle royale, if you will. Mm-hmm. Even though that already exists, Pac-Man battle royale. That's, yeah. a, that's a different thing. Um, I don't know. I, I love this concept, and I, I really think it's cool that they've been continuing to develop this out. Although... I still want to see someone tackle Bomberman 99. That one makes more gig- sense, doesn't it? Get, like, dude, like a gigantic high-res play field with like 99 Bomberman. Like, I don't know. Maybe 99 <laughs> is too many, but like that idea is something I've been wanting to see for a long time. And uh, I still think there's potential there. But in the meantime, Pac-Man looks pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. Uh, I haven't played it uh, beyond like a Namco collection in probably like a decade <laughs> so, right, yeah. so maybe this is something uh it's only for switch right yeah ah, unfortunately that's, oh, unfortunately that's, that's a, i don't have a switch so uh, we're gonna have to get it. what you want alex oh no i don't know if i'd ever turn it on i'm gonna be completely <laughs> honest <laughs> yeah okay well so yeah simple thing but actually that serves as a little bit of a jumping off point into a uh quick retro corner so let's hop on over there Hey, we're here. Welcome to my new show. No, I'm just kidding. This is still the same <laughs> the same uh, three people talking about stuff. Uh, Audi is somewhere else at the time being. Yeah. But there's two items to discuss on the Retro Corner this week. Firstly, I wanted to quickly mention uh, the, the Dreamcast prototype for Castlevania that was recently sort of discovered. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's being auctioned off in one of those. Um, <sighs> I, I don't know if I want to weigh in too much on that situation. But it is cool that this exists because this was a Western-developed Castlevania game in 3D that was being created for the Sega Dreamcast. And you know what? Chances are high that probably wouldn't have been great, let's be honest. Um, But I really appreciate when when prototypes like this actually surface. And this seems to be like a five-level demo with a boss, but each level is kind of a segmented chunk so it's very much looks to be like a demo that was intended to showcase what the game could be so there's not that much there but the fact that it's actually out there Mm. in any capacity i think is really interesting and i really hope that whatever happens we do get um a a release online so that everybody can check it out i agree Hmm. I just hope it doesn't disappear like that uh, one Wu-Tang Clan album, essentially, was auctioned <laughs> off and then just no, no one ever hears it. Well, that, yeah, well, that sounds sucks. Cool. Let's hope that doesn't happen. 
the other order of business on the retro corner this week though um i'm very happy to say that our very own thomas morgan here is a proud owner of a brand uh not new but refurbished uh, uh sony pvm 20 l4 mm. so the l4 is is sort of the european equivalent of the 20 l5 in every way except for its missing multi-format support which is unfortunate what's multi-format support uh that means 480p 720p and 1080i oh okay uh this was <laughs> this was a weird period of time for analog tv and europe generally was missing out on these progressive and hd modes during this period for some reason you can you can still get multi-format in the bvm range but in the pvm range it's lacking it but you get the same great tube the same chassis and the the core electronics and features and functions it's all there and it's a really nice pvm uh i should know i have three of them l4s <laughs> even though i'm using a bvm as my main i have three l4s because i one of them started to have an issue so ah, yeah. i immediately panicked and was like well i need to obtain more of these <laughs> i, I want to uh well i'll ask you about the issue in a second uh, but yeah but yeah i i did get this um uh 20l4 from a really uh well it was an ebay selling and the, it caught both of our eyes because i posted it to you john first just to say hey is this a good you know a good listing just is this a good mm -hmm, deal mm -hmm. and um you were immediately like absolutely yes definitely uh for a couple of reasons um as you say these mo you know these are this is aging technology and it's very hard to find anything remotely close to new but the best you can do is to find one uh, that's recapped. That is, with all the capacitors replaced uh, manually. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is the sort of weakest link in uh, most of these PVM sets. Well, where... to be fair, though, you say that, but in general, like, yes, some of the caps definitely need to re be replaced in these things, especially around heat sources, such as power supplies in there. But these were, like, high-end professional monitors. So they were, By and yeah. large, like, the capacitors do actually hold up really well over time. Yeah. Um. So it's usually just specific ones that can go on the fritz. But honestly, fritz. in this case, you know, it's it's just sort of preventative uh, maintenance, I guess yeah. you could say. Yeah. And, but, and, you know, bear in mind, these are left on for countless hours in a row, usually in a professional environment, mm -hmm. you know. So our use is nowhere near that intense. What's good, though, about the L-Series is that it's actually... These came out in the early part of the 2000s. Right, So yeah. most of these like L4s are from like 2003, 2004, 2005, which makes them some of the newer PVMs. Like, uh, if you look for at various models for sale, you'll find even models dating back to the 80s that don't even have an on-screen display. And those... Those can be a little trickier, but people are keeping them alive. So at least in this case, it's it's a newer model, probably in healthier condition. Like first impression was, whoa, this is this was totally worth it. This is absolutely worth because um, I had to wait for it. In fact, I bought it around Christmas, mm. and because of uh, COVID like restrictions on movement oh, right. in the UK right now, we actually uh, agreed. Okay, let, you know, let's be safe. Let's not. Uh, you know, we can't travel between areas. So I literally had to wait uh, three, now four months wow. to get this thing. I was so looking forward to it. Uh, mm. But yeah, previously I've had um, uh, an earlier model, the 24ME, which right. is a good you know, unit. It uses the same uh, tube, essentially, and mm -hmm. it's an 800 line. But the, the problem with that, because it's older, the actual... 
um, it it just seems like it's worn out and uh, everything appears blurry towards the fringes and okay. there's only a small uh, sort of circle in the middle where it's sharp and it became really obvious after a while it's like it's a lovely crisp uh, it's a lovely colorful image but the crispness is kind of diminished hmm. um, and there could, you know there could be fixes for that but um, yeah, I assume you just didn't want to deal with it, <laughs> but you didn't like throw it out, right? Like, I, I hope no, you've no. given it a good home because it should still be salvageable. Hopefully. Well, uh, it it should be. Yeah, uh, it's just literally in this room here like, oh, behind okay. me. Uh, so, if anyone wants uh, a twenty four me, hit me up, and uh, you know, it's it might need a little bit of. Um, Tuning. There Tweaking. you go. So if you're if you're around Brighton, which is where uh, Eurogamer is at, um, yeah, maybe send us a message. Send Tom a message, and might be able to hook you up with a good deal for yeah. a monitor that needs some work. <laughs> a little bit of work, and it'll look incredible. Right now, it looks good, and it's got one input. But this new new one, jumping to it, I was like, wow, that was worth it. Uh, it's like, you know, uh, it's a big leap. It's a big leap, and uh, the edges are all sharp. The scan lines, especially. I think I made a tweet on this, but uh, mm -hmm. the scan lines across the whole screen are absolutely pin sharp. And it came with um, a BKM uh, expansion module as well, uh, which was in itself quite. Um, quite oh, it had, uh, that's right. They had the BKM one two nine X, I think. Yeah. Yes. What is this? Which expansion? adds the second RGB input. Ah. Which um, that card is really nice. I have one of those as well. But yeah, it's it just it's an expansion module that's very well suited to this. Um, so that that was another great uh, find there. Good. Yeah. So like all combined, it's like uh, the seller said, right? Well, it should be good for another 10, 20 years before you start seeing degradation. You know, any sort of yeah. major degradation yeah so cool thought, yeah that sounds good keep an eye on it i the one that i had that had issues uh it it was a weird problem that's been difficult to diagnose it still works but occasionally while you're using it the screen will like click and flick and get blurry for a second and then come back and oh boy i took it to the crt wizard and we discussed this and it seems to be arcing in the neck in a weird way uh, and we did all sorts of like maintenance on the boards and, and the, the neck board and everything and checked out all the various components. And it could either be something going on with the um, flyback transformer or there's actually something going on in the tube itself. So it's kind of a tricky one. The, the thing is, though, is it'll work fine for dozens of hours and then you'll get a run of it where it happens a lot. And then so but it, it worried me, which is why, um, yeah. I wanted to make sure I have spares just in case because who knows what's yeah. going to happen there because it looks great still. But for now, though, I've been using a BVM. Um, which BVM model are you using the there? the 20G1E, which I found a, a nice deal on last year. And I really like this one because it's an 800 line tube because a lot of the BVMs are 900 and 1,000 line tubes. But I actually don't like the way they look as much with mm -hmm. retro content it's a little bit too sharp i feel like 800 line is kind of my my sweet spot some people actually prefer the 600 line look but 600 to 800 is kind of where i like to be for these games but the main benefit of the bvm is really it just allows much more granularity and settings configuration so you can really dial in convergence you can also set up presets for every console on the front panel uh with their own like correct sizing and position of the screen 
so that you don't have like consoles that are off center and all I've, that. Yeah, I've noticed this has been a real issue. Like playing Street Fighter Alpha, a lot of the Street yeah. Fighter games seem to use a very wide uh, uh, sort of. Maybe maybe after this, Tom, I'll, I'll show you some tricks about. Get, have you figured out how to get into the service menu and make adjustments to this stuff? Yeah, I'm very cautious with that stuff. because it's, uh, it's pretty safe on the L series, but um, I'll show you mm. how to adjust sizing and positioning. So, <laughs> but that's, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged because aside from Will, I think everybody else on the DF team has, I've managed to convince to get into CRTs yeah. to some degree. You've all, <laughs> you guys, I know it's... Tom got into the PVMs. Alex got into PC gaming, uh, <laughs> retro PC with a CRT. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's touch conversion. <laughs> Most people, I bet a bunch of people in the audience are like, who cares? But then yeah. all of a sudden you see a CRT again, you're like, this destroys LCDs and OLEDs and all these things. It's like, wow. Yeah. You know, they have, there's obviously drawbacks to CRTs. No, nobody's saying, oh yeah, CRTs are the best solution. There's there's plenty of issues with them. I'm not saying that, but uh, what they do, they do very, very well. That motion clarity and the ability to handle variable resolutions so well uh it's it's a they're fantastic displays i love them um yeah i mean, I just miss i i think the main thing i miss is uh the the, the responsiveness in fighting games like <laughs> it there's just something so immediate about that very crisp. the controller yeah, yeah. It really it makes such a huge difference um i'm not sure what's i'm not sure what it is but a lot of modern fighters on uh, ps4 xbox one I, I just feel there's something I need to investigate this because I always feel like there's an, a, a slight well, slight uh, they're, disconnect. Uh, they're get, they're getting better, but there is still that extra rendering overhead, especially with sure. rendering engines that does add a little bit of extra uh, time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. Unreal. It's improved. It's, it's improved I, a lot, especially like Samurai Showdown in 120 hertz. I think somebody did some measurements on that. And it's yeah. it's pretty low. I would recommend Tom if you haven't played it really, just like play Street Fighter Five and then switch over to Killer Instinct twenty thirteen and tell me what you feel like at sixty hertz if you feel a big difference because one of those uh, is just using the generic middleware, you know, with like deferred rendering yeah. or whatever, and the other one was just like an engine that is literally only meant for a fighting game. Uh, That's right. Yes, and, yeah. it, and it runs, you know, it's very specific. So I'm I'm curious if you could feel a difference there. And if you do, um, maybe that's one of the reasons why, like John was just talking about. Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I noticed it as the, uh, and more and more fighting games, pretty much all of them use Unreal at this point. Soul yeah. Calibur, Tekken, uh, Guilty Gear, uh, Street Fighter, it, just about everything's untouched. King of Fighters is unique, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Isn't yeah. that Unity, though? Um, Isn't that Unity? I swear it's is Unity. It? Is Unity. It? Isn't it? Maybe that. I'm completely wrong. We, there, we have to double check. Maybe this. it gave you that unity look. We need to check that. I, I uh, that would that blow my mind though. Okay. <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, but yeah. I think that's a that's a good place to wrap up the retro corner before we move on to our next section. Okay. As always, um, we like to discuss some of the content and things we've been working on during the week in more of a casual way, mm -hmm. uh, especially those videos that aren't yet finished. So. First of all, Alex, I think you wanted to discuss your PC upgrade. You went from a 3900X to a 5950X uh, in your main machine. And yeah. it sounds like it's quite a significant CPU upgrade. Yeah, it's pretty awesome so far. Um, the basic idea is like last time when I upgraded, 
was what two years ago now almost it feels like yeah um 1700x 3900x and i produced a separate video for that because it was just kind of huge uh i don't think first gen ryzen was really great i thought that 3900x at 3000 series was really good and i feel like yeah. the uh this 5000 series that i've just had this short contact with after upgrading so far is just like really, really good. It's like the first time yeah. where I don't feel like there's any big caveats. 3900X had a couple still. Um, but um, the basically, this is not gonna be producing the full video, but I've just run some numbers behind the scene. Uh, and I uh, just wanted to talk about the upgrade itself, which uh, for me, uh, initially, actually, because it's been a while since I cleaned out my case and uh, re like redid my wiring and all these things, I wanted to break out the entire PC. I ripped out all the parts and I cleaned them all by hand. Uh, sprayed out my case with like a hose, <laughs> uh, just went, went wow. basically full. And it's an old case, it's like a half 932. Uh, so it's it's like just something that I keep and hold on to because it's worked really well over a course of 10 years, not because it's like the best thing ever, um, but you know, it's a pretty great case, I think still. Um, you know, put, you know, had both of these processors ripped out the 3900X, uh, put it on using the exact same heatsink fan that I've been using for almost 10 years now, the uh, Noctua NHD14, which is so cool. Noctua, I think they make my uh, my favorite uh, heatsink fan assemblies because you can take that same heatsink that you've had for uh, one um, motherboard uh, kind of fitting and just uh, send a, a message over to Noctua and uh, upgrade the kind of fitting, the, the like, how do you call it? the like the socket like fitting that it has. Yeah, so it can fit yeah, yeah. the same heatsink on the multiple different motherboards. And I've done that now, I think three times. And each time it's just like, I just get a little tiny package in the mail and it that's it. And I have my exact same heatsink that I've had now for 10 years and it's still a really good one. So I just am using that, um, you know, kind of love that iconic off colored look that Noctua fans have. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, they're great. Um, yeah, just uh, kind of, for me, the, this upgrade is good because this is going into my PC, which I actually do all of my production work on. Lately, I've switched over to the 10900K for actually doing the game testing. Oh, well, the primary game testing. There's obviously like the 3600 or the i5-8400 I also use, but like the primary, this is the high-end experience PC is my 10900K and the 3900X is just uh, kind of doing the recordings and doing all my production work. So that was one of the upgrades I was originally uh, interested in seeing how much it improves. And I did that uh, by checking out an HEVC encode time on a Ooh. very slow HEVC. Recently, my Tony Hawk Pro Skater video, for some reason, like the bit rate in that game, just like, was, yeah. it's insanely high. And I was getting really low frame rates in HEVC 4K uh, quality 18 or something like that, CRF. Um, and here, it, like, it was like, to do this 20 minute HEVC is like, I think on the 3900X is about like 67 minutes or so in total. And the 5950X uh, was like 48 minutes. So this wow. is just great for me because it means less time uh, waiting on uh, to get the HEVC out, to upload to YouTube or upload to our FTP. There's like all these things, like I just want to be not as connected to my PC if I don't have to be, you know? Definitely. Mm -hmm. Work smarter, not harder kind of mentality. Uh, another thing I was interested in was Premiere export times. Uh, and this one's a tricky one because our Premiere process has been changing lately. 
ever since yeah. we kind of started integrating our FBS detect tools into Premiere. So the export times changed and also we're getting away from intermediate formats a little bit. And I've been uh, actually been pre-encoding aspects to uh, HEVC. Uh, um, so I re-exported my HEV, uh, my, my um, Tony Hawk Pro Skater video here from Premiere. And it has a lot of HEVC components in it actually, uh, which this is why the, these numbers here are very interesting because it's like the initial 3900X export time was like 83 minutes or so, which is really long for like a 22 minute video. Yeah, uh, it is. It's uh, just cause a lot of frame graphs and stuff like that. And interestingly, the, the upgrade here is very minimal. It was like hmm. 75 minutes on the 5950X. And I'm looking Yikes. over, I'm looking over the, the content. And the reason why I think this is happening is because we are moving away from those intermediate formats to a certain degree. There's a lot of HEVC here. Uh, so the GPU is actually the primary limiting factor in a lot of this because it's decoding HEVC on the, on the GPU. And you actually, if you look at the uh, kind of like process, you can see it's actually spending a lot more time on the GPU than on the CPU. Uh, and another thing is our, our uh, I would say our FPS uh, exports from Premiere, while it's really great from a workflow perspective, uh, they are a little bit limited in their export. I don't know what it is, yeah. but like uh, they don't they don't seem as efficient as other exports. Uh, so no. this upgrade was a little bit less. Then, of okay. course, after all that uh, production kind of stuff, I got into some games. I was really curious to see uh, Metro Exodus. It has this one CP limited section uh, that John I know has had to deal with a bunch when you get off. I think it's on the tie. No, it's on the was the Volga level, like when you initially start that, uh, getting off the train, and as the train kind of comes to a halt, on like lower IPC CPUs, um, you'll definitely be below 60 FPS, and the 3900X there uh, definitely drops below 60 FPS, like 55, and then it's just hovering a tiny bit above 60 FPS after the train stops. 5950X at that same time is like 25% faster, never drops below 60 FPS. So uh, definitely it's making me that kind of result where I know it's like never dropping below 60 FPS, not even a single frame. Uh, it makes me want to reconsider using my 10900K uh, and switching out my kind of gameplay PC to the 5950X, but there's more results. Uh, Flight Sim, for example, uh, on average, just running across London at like really low resolution here, at our high settings, kind of the optimized settings we've uh, developed for this game, it's like 64% faster on average. It's like 60 FPS-ish on the 3900X, and it's like just like almost 100 the entire time on the 5950X, which is awesome wow. for flight sim. It's amazing. That's incredible. And that's, that game is one that barely uses more than six cores. So that's just all the... IPC wow. and uh, frequency. The efficiency is way up yeah, there. Yeah, efficiency is way higher uh, on Zen 5000 um, here. And, um, but the frame times are still wonky, <laughs> honestly. Uh, they really need a patch in DX12 for this game. It's pretty bad. Um, the, uh, the another thing I wanted to check out was just some like two games that I'm always interested in making sure they're running better with the new CPU upgrade. And I did check out Crisis Remastered. Um, and I did an onslaught run where I'm just basically running the tank across the level. And that could see like around a 44% average 
faster frame rate, not even getting near 60 FPS at high settings. At 4K Ultra DLSS performance, I wanted to do that uh, it, because it's CPU limited on the 3900X and because 4K, higher resolutions in Crisis Remastered and I guess Crisis 1 itself run worse on the CPU, like I talked about right. in my videos multiple times before. So I wanted to see what is the 4K performance like, and it's a lot better. And then I did the you know kind of ultimate test, which is looking over the town and it's like 89% better performance there. It's like below 60 FPS at these settings on the 3900X and above 100 FPS at 4K here on the 5950X. I'm pretty sure that's a better result than, I than wow. my 10900K. And I think we're kind of seeing that massive performance increase here due to that game cache. Uh, Crisis is an older game and it just uh, probably a lot of everything that it's doing is fitting in that game cache very nicely and not uh, going out to memory. And that's an advantage that the 5950X would definitely have over the 3900X, much larger uh, game cache, L3 cache, or whatever it's called. And the last game I want to check out is, uh, I do have a weird fetish for playing older games and injecting motion blur into them using Reshade. Oh, yeah. And one of them that I'm always kind of laughing at is Halo Reach. They took out the motion blur in that game, much to my uh, disappointment on the re-release of it in MCC. Uh, so to run this injected motion blur, you need around like 360 frames per second. And 3900X is just not at all uh, good for that. Can't do it. Now, but uh, moving over to uh, the uh, 5950X, you know, just running these same scenarios side by side, like you can see here, uh, it is way faster. I think it's like on average more than 50% faster in most scenarios. So it's closer to a 360 FPS average. It'll still drop below uh, in certain occasions. So I guess my dream CPU is the generation after this one, but uh, it's just like so much better. And all in all, the upgrade ex experience itself was really easy. All it involved was, uh, you know, getting a new firmware, a new BIOS uh, for, my, uh, for my motherboard, just making sure some certain things were set up and just slapping in the CPU. It was really easy. The only problem I had technically was I had to take out my RAM and reinsert it after booting because I was getting a, a memory error. I'm pretty sure huh. it just, it, it was just like probably applying the wrong voltage and timings after the CPU was set up. I, that's All what right. I imagine. So I just reset CMOS. Uh, took out the RAM and put it back in, set it back up to 3200 megahertz and all was good. The next thing, wow. uh, so 59, this Ryzen 5000 series, I love it. I think it's great. Uh, I kind of want one now. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's really good. I mean, it's really expensive, obviously, but uh, I'm really happy I have access to it. And I'm just thinking about the next things that this PC probably needs. Uh, my production PC would be maybe more RAM because it's 32 gigs. Uh, 64 would probably be really great for a production machine. And uh, it's still running like an A-data 2.5 gigabytes per second PCI 3 kind of targeted uh, NVMe SSD. And given now that it's like fully unlocked, awesome Ryzen PCI E 4.0, maybe one of those seven gigabytes per second, something or another's could find its way in here, which would be pretty awesome. Uh, but the takeaway from this is I'm seriously considering doing all my gameplay uh, kind of from the high-end perspective on this PC now instead of my 10900K, which is wow. which is impressive. Yeah.
that's uh, quite a thing and that's a lot of information there yeah, that, so, sounds, to, that sounds phenomenal to, i have to, to admit to bore the audience but there was there's hopefully some uh visuals on the screen here to make this a bit more <laughs> interesting than me just talking with the camera yeah okay um moving on from there uh tom, <laughs> shot, shot right I turn tom wanted to quickly talk about uh and i stress quickly uh talk about uh the ps5 back backwards compatible loading times using ssds uh, external drives i think it was yeah tom, yeah this is a project you've kind of had in the works for a while and i think you're still in the middle of this but uh what, what's the deal here yeah, it's still very much in, in progress with this. Uh, it's quite literally a waiting game. Uh, so um, it's been it basically the idea is PS5 back compat uh, to PS4 titles and which, uh, which drive is the fastest and best to run them from um, as compared to just running them from the internal PS5 NVMe storage, which is a bit of a waste of space, I think, if you're... Yeah, uh, definitely. We're using PS4 games, but uh, so we've uh, lined up all the the candidates you think would make sense. We've got one uh, HDD, um, a strong SSD. It was the eight, Samsung eight terabyte terabyte QVO, I believe, uh, that we tested on the PS4 Pro uh, a while back, and we've got a uh, NVMe. I think it's the 980 Pro. Um, it's uh, very much a top of the line model and um funnily yeah. enough we bought that a while back oh. i think on the assumption that we could uh, actually insert that into the ps5 <laughs> and it yeah. turned not out currently. that would, yeah. not currently so that's where that's kind of the, the setup what actually um yeah i've got to wait for the results to come in basically so there's not a lot to talk oh, on this one okay but Fair it enough. is it is i imagine my predictions would be uh you know, HDD, SSD, and then a small sort of boost to the NVMe when running externally, like plugging it into the USB port. I also found a few uh, snags to the whole thing. Oh, uh, a few like um, the PS5 has compatibility issues with certain cables. Like I was trying to get that SSD, the eight terabyte uh, Samsung uh, QVO, to work. Yeah, and uh, we used a fairly generic off-the-shelf um, USB to SATA connector uh, for our PS4 Pro tests, and that worked perfectly. Um, but when I used the same one over on the PS5, it was just saying no, not enough bandwidth. Sorry, and I was like, oh come on, uh, this works. This clearly works. Yeah, well, that's and interesting. I've, then I mean, is is it actually? Does it have a bandwidth issue that would constrain? Yeah, I've makes me yeah, wonder now I, about it, testing it on the ps4 if it was if it's yeah. not that the ps4 actually has uh oh. bandwidth necessary to fully take advantage of this mm, i guess yeah yeah but it was enough for uh rich to say okay i'll send you a you know he's gonna drop um a, a better one on me well uh, and it will be hopefully sort this out as a separate uh, model one yeah. Um, yeah. Airdrop. Sorry, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alex. You caught me. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So it, it's a uh, yeah few few issues here and there, um, and uh, I think we're going to use Cyberpunk to do our massive read oh, yeah. and write test because that's about 100 gigs now. Uh, I want to do Modern Warfare because that's now uh, well in excess of 213 gigs, but yeah, it feels like massive. they've they've broken broken it up into parts. Like they've got 
your big Warzone chunk and then the Modern Warfare chunk uh, with all the little parts in, in there and then the Cold War uh, side as well. And it feels like uh, it's gone a bit messy for a transfer. Yeah, so. I know what you mean. Okay, well, that, uh, that actually sounds really interesting then, Tom. Um, I'm also curious about this because you're right. Uh, for backwards compatible games, I do prefer to store them on an external drive, but I'm always kind of concerned that it might be limiting the performance in some way. Mm. Uh, so definitely I will keep an eye out for that. So yeah. as for myself, um, uh, I don't really want to spend too much time talking about this, but there's other things. So first of all, Crisis Remastered, the patch came out. Uh, at the time of recording this, it came out yesterday. And we had, we had early access to the Xbox patch because they were to whitelist the console, but we had to wait until launch to get the PS5 patch. So the Xbox results are out. Um, I did actually play the first few stages of Crisis Remastered on the PS5. Uh, I think Alex and I are going to return for another video on that. But preliminary tests suggest that it's pretty much as we thought, where the resolution is lower on average uh, and the performance is up as a result. So essentially, you get you really get close to locking to 60 FPS. The performance mode seems to be basically flawless thus far. The RT mode, which is 1080p on the PS5, is also almost flawless. And then the quality mode is shockingly almost there as well, except for in a couple, basically the second mission in a couple spots and one other area a bit later on. Uh, we'll have all those details soon, but it's the, the news is that it's looking good on there and HDR works, which is also key since that wasn't working on, on the other machines for some reason, even though it did work on actual Xbox One and One X, it doesn't work on the series consoles. So hopefully that'll also get corrected yeah. in short order. Uh, I'm going to be kind of plugging away at this today and tomorrow, and we'll talk about it pretty soon, Jeff. And the reason you're plugging away at it is because I've been working on a video for the new Oddworld game, Soulstorm, hmm. uh, which again... I, I, I suspect by the time this goes live, that video will be out, but it's a game I've really been enjoying. As a fan of the series, I really like what they've done here. It's very systems-driven. Uh, lots of like very um, legible AI and level design concepts that sort of reward sort of this emergent play style. Uh, I, I think the thing that really sticks out to me is the way they've sort of integrated a fire propagation system and sort of physics into the mix. So like mm -hmm. if you have a giant stack of wood, uh, like a structure made out of wood, and you light it on fire, the wood actually chars, the fire propagates across the whole structure, and then eventually it just collapses. Hmm. Uh, and this is a really interesting thing for a 2D game like this. And it really makes the encounters feel much less rigid than they were in the pr previous games. So, and there's a lot of experimentation you can do uh there's crafting and i don't normally love crafting but it's very streamlined here and it really allows you to be creative with your tools and create some very cool scenarios and then i also love how the level design they've sort of created it's a 2d game but the levels have this remarkable depth like in some parts you'll walk across this ledge and you can see out the entire level before you like all the pathways that you'll traverse over the next 30 minutes all the little objects you can use, the enemies, you can just kind of see it all out there in the distance. Whoa. And it really gives it this sense of scale. Like, oh, I'm going to be over there in like 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Is it a... Uh... Uh, and you can see it. 
Is it depth of wow. field? Is it depth of field at out at all, or what is it? No, like? not really. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, to think we've come a long way since uh, parallax scrolling. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really clever <laughs> clever use of level design where it's like the background is not just a background; it's actually like actively where you're going, mm. and also at times that's so smart. You'll see like other mudakins that you free like in huge numbers. Like they they have this system where they can display like hundreds of these guys like all ru running across the background, climbing structures. And there's all these little instanced models. I mean, if you look closely at them, they're clearly not as detailed. And there's mm -hmm. flaws there, but it's very cool to see like a giant herd of these things all moving across the background. That's cool. And sometimes that even figures into the level design where you actually have to do stuff on your plane to help prevent the guys in the background from being killed. Uh, so I don't know. I really, I really like the game and I think I talk a lot about this in that video. So I will stop that discussion for now and go check it out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Before we get into the Q and a though, uh, I want to touch Audie and I have started doing a DF retro pickups video, which is part of our new Patreon uh, reconfiguration. We're still in the middle of sort of, enhancing the patreon changing some of our options for it interacting more with the community producing more content for it especially i have some big plans for the retro stuff that should be revealed in time um but that's one of the small things that we've been adding to it so if you're looking for more discussion on retro stuff and want to join a really cool community come on and uh hang out with us over on our patreon patreon discord and we'll have a lot more to say about this stuff soon which will hopefully make this whole process and job for us a lot more fun too so i'm looking forward to that mm -hmm. but uh now i think it is time for q a so as always at the beginning of the week we uh ask our patrons for questions that they want to write into the show and um you know this it's it's a tried and true formula and it's a lot of fun for us i think to go through some of these questions and discuss this stuff so we're going to start here with the first question asked by Jacob Torson. Uh, his, he says, what are your experiences using consoles with your CRTs? I have a four by three. It, I have a four by three aspect ratio, 21 inch Apple studio display CRT, which is amazing, but required a significant amount of tinkering with CRU, the custom resolution program, uh, to get it working properly with my PC. It would be so cool if it was feasible to use it with, say, a PlayStation 5. Hmm. Uh, I suspect I have the most experience out of everyone here. In I terms think of you might, using... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you want to use... So he's there's different types of CRTs. He's obviously talking about a CRT that was designed for use on a PC versus yeah, Mac, the displays yeah. Yeah. that for like 15 kilohertz or lower res content. Um, and it, this is about using a modern system on uh, one of these displays. And really, the, the simple answer to this is, uh, at least in my test, is you need a capable HDMI to a VGA adapter. And I forget the name of the one I'm using, but essentially you just plug that into your system of choice, plug the VGA cable into that, and as long as you send a supported resolution to the display, you will have your beautiful um image appear naturally so like on the fw 900 for instance uh that can do over 1440p but obviously you know not all consoles output that so you know just selecting like 1080p on that system looks 
on any of the systems looks really excellent, but you can also go lower res as well. Uh, for instance, if you have like an old GameCube or something, or you're using like a line doubler that puts out 480p, you can connect that to a PC monitor as well. And you get a very nice looking uh, 480p image. Um, it's So it really just comes down to converting that signal from HDMI to analog VGA and finding a good adapter to do it. Now, if you wanted to actually use modern equipment with a like a PVM or a BVM, it starts to get a little bit crazier. Uh, in my case, I'm using like an Extron Emotia of some sort to, I, specifically, I like to convert my signal down all the way to 240p so you can play like, uh, you know, pixel art indie games and such. At 240p. Yeah. At 240p with, you know, on an interlaced display. And it looks really cool. And there's there's other devices to do this as well, but... That gets a little bit more complicated, but if you just want to bring your modern console onto a PC monitor, CRT, uh, it really is just about those adapters. Mm -hmm. The next question comes to us from Christopher Huang. Uh, you guys often have to deal with spiteful criticisms and supposed debunks on Twitter and YouTube targeting your analysis and comparison videos. How does the team handle the vitriol on social media and the hate around your... And has the hate around your content changed since committing to in-depth video content? Oh boy, do we ever face this stuff all the yeah. time. Uh, yeah. Who, who wants to ta tackle this first? Well, I can speak on it a little bit, I think. We've all been kind of at the subject to it. I think it goes with the, the territory, not to justify it in any way, but uh, it does. It, it feels like a... a it's part of the subject that we talk about is the console rivalry. And with that comes a lot of people who are very invested in their console of choice. And, you know, rightly so, because they've spent a lot of money on like their new Xbox or PS uh, PlayStation. And uh, you, I think clearly what happens is people get into arguments, uh, maybe, and, uh, you know, they look to us to make give, give kind of like the deciding verdict on which runs better. And at that very basic level uh, can rile people up if it doesn't go their way. I think fundamentally we just present what we see as best we can in uh, the most effective way we can and just be as transparent about the processes we we use to get to that point. And, you know, uh, that's pretty much all we've got to, uh, you know, that's the best we can do. And if that's, uh, there's patches, there's things that happen later in the game, there's all sorts of areas of a game which you know, we can't 100% wrap our hand around. Uh, and that can come up on Twitter. And, and see, uh, the thing about this, though, is as I think over the years, we've changed a lot in terms of what we want to cover. Like, I've, I, I've personally pushed away from doing comparisons as much as possible, except mm. for when, you know, we pretty much have to do it. But it's more enjoyable, I think, to do big features on games and, and look more into the technology behind them. And for me, especially, I love doing retro content. I know Alex prefers doing PC content. You don't really play on consoles at all in your free time. So like, hmm. and that's the thing is I think for all of us, the words we say, we try to choose to try and like diffuse the situation, but it just doesn't always work. And people like, why would we just kind of say what the data says and try to present it in a way that makes sense. And you know, I never want to say something to upset any fan base because then we have to deal with the blowback. Uh, mm. But sometimes it's just not possible. Like, 
if you're presenting certain information, people will, it's, it was especially weird with that Tony Hawk video you did recently, Alex, where the result was pretty much like, yeah, they're just about the identical. Yeah. They're both fantastic. <laughs> and people were still uh, getting worked up over it. I'm like, I, I don't understand. Like this is, everybody gets a great version. Yeah. Everybody should be happy here, but mm. somehow they weren't. I just think, uh, you know, any sort of person who is so invested in these things, I don't think I'm going to make them ever happy, regardless of what I say. Um, so I'm just kind of ignoring it now uh, to a great degree because I don't have any, like as people say, I think metaphorically hat in that race. I just play PC games and I literally yeah. only want the PC version to be good. I don't care, <laughs> I don't care about the other versions at all no. uh, beyond like the fact that I cover them. So, um, yeah. so it's just like, I just, I just don't care as much anymore as maybe I did like a year ago and I would get really upset about it. Cause I just didn't like the idea of people like twisting my words or like saying I'm like incompetent and all these other things that I just didn't feel were maybe justified. Uh, but nowadays I just kind of go about it by debunking something only if it's like, like some sort of misrepresentation of something I said. Other than that, I actually right. don't, I actually don't talk about it too much. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've managed to cut down on it this year after after a rough launch, and occasionally I still get heated up. But <laughs> in general, I just try to ignore it more often these days. In the last few months, and it has been generally more pleasant. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe it's because we've uh, kind of just left that first wave of titles for the next gen consoles, and it's it's kind of eased off a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's weirdly it kind of spoiled my ability to really enjoy these machines like i i when i turn on one of these systems now i actually feel more dread than joy and that sucks <laughs> oh no i used to love playing these games and now like i just think of of these people and it just it, it makes me like i don't want to play this uh almost pardon my french say, yeah uh, because it's yeah. just depressing so a lot yeah. of the games that I do play are not the ones that I'm covering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I, I still like... enjoy a great game when it comes along. I love the Demon Souls. I'm loving Odd World right now. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. That stuff's really good. But in my I free think... time, I prefer retro games. Yeah. I think um, Digital Foundry content is, uh, there's a lot of facets to it. There's a lot of things that we we can offer people. And the stuff you do, John, is is one of the, the, the great things, which is, we you know, you celebrate you celebrate the technology behind a game. You give people a reason to be positive about this thing. Yeah, that's, and, that's uh, kind of my goal, yeah. And you put people uh, who make them on a sort of a platform to tell their story. And that, I think, is the the highest thing we can aspire to. Um, and uh, it's, it's great because it gives people a voice and we, you know, puts lesser-known games on the map as well, which is, is fun, always fun. But I guess at the same time, we have the platform comparison stuff, which... Yeah, And its core is, you know, if you're lucky enough to own, I always say this, but if you are lucky enough to have both options, it's just a useful buyer's guide, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm that's right. more than happy to offer that. I'm willing to take the flack for it if you uh, you think um, I'm inclined towards PlayStation or Xbox, but in truth... <laughs> I don't care either way. I yeah, really same. do not care. I, I really don't have a preference. It's more just like I like good games. Uh, that's about it. I mean, yeah. It, that's what it's all about, right? Like just enjoy what's out there. And there's great stuff coming from everywhere. 
And I think, you know, we don't always agree with every business decision being made. Uh, but I'm not shy about presenting, uh, when I don't like something, I, I certainly will tell you, like, I've been pretty vocal about my disdain for streaming. Uh, so yeah, but yeah. when it comes to the actual machines themselves, I think they're all awesome, especially now, like this, this has been a great generation despite some, uh, issues the consoles themselves are actually very 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 good uh, yeah brilliant this time around so i'm stoked yeah, just... i'm really stoked with this uh i mean i've seen <clears throat> the ps3 and 360 era and i think this was this is the closest because in the ps4 xbox one days uh, the tension of the console rivalry was diffused quite quickly uh because it became quickly evident that one was very much better than the other and and yeah. that kind of became that so I've not really felt I felt I felt it with uh, Cold War. Remember our Cold War coverage? This this sense of uh, uh, aggression in the comments that um, you know we had, we had a lot of weird times. Like there was people trying to claim that Series S had ray tracing. That you were wrong about that. It yeah. Didn't. There was people out, trying to debunk the Dirt Five stuff that we put out by using the PS4 version on PS5. They were lying. Yeah. Uh, there's all these people that are taking these shots and they think they know what they're talking about on this stuff. And it's just, just creates problems in the community and gets people worked up. And it's, it's a sad to see. Yeah. Uh, the thing with the cold war one, we had to dig back in and just like clarify. You did, yeah. Uh, like the misinformation that kind of sprung out from, uh, people saying series S did have ray tracing and yeah, it we went was, in, it was something in that... detail and looked at it. Uh, we even talked yeah. to Activision about it to get confirmation. The confusion stems from, in that case, you could download the ray tracing pack on Series S. But it didn't do anything, uh, right? It didn't do anything. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it, Which is I have to enough. admit, on, on Activision, I can see why there's confusion there. Like, usually I get why people might be confused about things. Uh, but, you know, it's it, it can create some wild situations. Yeah, we'll yeah for that. sure. But hopefully going forward, things will be a little more calm now that we're past the launch um and whenever nintendo has some new console in the works i'm sure that'll be calm as well i love covering the switch that audience is so friendly and uh just chill what mm. can i say so sw switch stuff is always interesting especially because it's not a very powerful machine so it's it's fun to see how developers work within those constraints i think that's that's just darn interesting mm -hmm. so but yeah i guess that answers that yeah um next up from anders loning uh i don't know if i said that right it, it has the yeah it's like a yeah that's like an, i think okay but he says with audi's overwhelming excitement for first person shooters <laughs> such as haze and resistance fall of man uh how will the rest of you work to get first dibs on covering upcoming b-tier shooters i now this I is poking that, good yeah, fun at us because thing. obviously uh Audi does not fan of the shooters. Quite the opposite, <laughs> I, in fact. <laughs> I just think that era is like from like the year two thousand two to like twenty ten ish. It's like honestly, like all that like huge first person shooters deluge we saw on console and I guess on PC too. They're all mostly yeah. terrible. Uh, so no, they're they're very B tier. They're yeah. not bad. Yeah, they're but not they're like terrible. a different type of B tier because like nineties I, I rather... are still pretty quality in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know? I would rather have those than like the billions of open world games we have today. Uh, yeah, because you can finish them, right? You know, like yeah, yeah, there's actually something there that you can get through and have some fun. <laughs> yeah, rather than like a checklist. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I just immediately jumped to stuff like Bulletstorm, uh, which is still oh, I love Bulletstorm, but, it, but it's still great. So <laughs> I will say though that today things. today is solid because um, we have the sort of the revival of the so-called boomer shooter. Yeah, there's a lot of really good ones that have been released in the past few years, so I'm very happy about that. I guess the uh, this kind of market went over. No offense uh, to uh, like instead of like everyone wanting to ape uh, kind of a dreary gray Call of Duty kind of feel. Uh, it kind mm. of went over to like everyone trying to get into the next loot uh, kind mm. of game. And th that obviously yeah. has a very different uh, ramifications for development. Uh, but you know, you have your anthems and everything. All right, next up from Edwin Crump. If you weren't in this particular job, but still in the video games industry, what would you want to do instead? And this is interesting. I've thought a lot about this because there's there's a lot of different roles I think that would be enjoyable, you know, producing games, working more on some of the design stuff. Uh, I used to do a lot of programming in the past in a previous job. I don't really want to do it again because I find it very stressful. Um, so I probably wouldn't get into that, but, you know, maybe some there's a, there's so many roles on modern projects today and there's plenty that I think I could jump into and uh, I would like to try at least um, mm -hmm. perhaps someday in the future. We'll see. Mm -hmm. um, it is mm -hmm. interesting though, because there's, there's a lot of room there in this industry today and it could be fun to do something a little bit less public facing perhaps, um, but still creative because it's, I love talking about game design and also how that ties into technology and finding ways to sort of create something interesting out of what is what we kind of know is possible today. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily think it would be like that enjoyable to work on gigantic AAA projects per se. But I don't know. What do you guys think? I think uh, I, I always went well had the mindset that I wanted to become a writer. Mm -hmm. uh the whole oh, video cool. production thing at digital foundry has always been like something that um was kind of i was taken that in that direction by just the way the I'm video sorry, game journalism we kind of we kind of pushed you that way <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i've really enjoyed it it's it's, it's, it's uh, something that i didn't expect to be into uh i got a degree in creative writing english and creative writing and then <laughs> suddenly uh doing video but it's been uh, a good learning experience and but uh, yeah, my history has always been in uh, writing and uh, also music. I wanted to get into music production. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. Uh, so I, I did like a, got a few qualifications in music technology and uh, I really thought I'd be going down that route as a composer or arranger. And I loved um, video game music, obviously. And so that was kind of where my head was at. Maybe we should form a team and make something. <laughs> Yeah, we've got the t you know we've got the, the skill set here. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. If not for this, I guess video production now because I know what to do with it. So yeah, exactly. Kind of production work like this is uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you, Alex? Uh, I guess if I were still in the video game industry, I would probably want to work as like a tech artist, uh, kind of like doing like. Yeah, just kind of exploring options uh, in like the pre-production phase of a game uh, would be really good to kind of like hammer down like what kind of systems do we need to enable the gameplay. That would be something yep, that I yep. probably, given the breadth of knowledge I've gathered, would I'd be actually useful at. 
Uh, other than that, it'd probably be picking up a skill with one of the main engines, like Unreal and doing uh, probably like scene lighting. Uh, I would have a pretty good understanding oh, actually, of that. Scene, yeah. scene lighting would be really interesting, so, You're right? I like that. Uh, I like that too. Uh, I probably want to do one of those two things and I have technical experience in both of them, but to like, if I just wasn't doing DF, I don't know if I'd want to do video anymore because I've done it already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I could do it well enough and I could, you know, punch them out quickly probably, but I don't know if I'd want to keep doing that if I ever stopped DF. I guess if I was, if I were to stay in doing video production, I would want to do something more like what Danny does with no clip. Yeah, that's way cool. Or actually you know? making more ambitious projects. Like that would mm. be, rather than cranking out like so many videos per month and they all feel pretty throwaway in the end, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. Uh, I would love to do something more significant like that and really kind of grow in there. And I've been slowly working on, you know, trying to get my 3D modeling skills up and hopefully do more with that. But there's just not time to integrate this stuff into DF videos because the production cycle is so fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I it would does say feel like, like we're a little bit hamstrung by this, by the release schedule. Yeah. I would say that uh, some of your DF retro stuff, John, would is, is far from throw like no, that Tetris I, video I, will stand the test of time I, I don't know well yeah it's, that stuff i do put more time into but still i feel yeah. like there's, there's greater room to move on that so i don't know i think for all of us there's there's different potential roles there um mm -hmm. but for now you know uh i i do mostly enjoy what we're doing at the time being and love especially working with rich so <sighs> yeah and you guys of course uh, so thanks, John. Thank you. Oh, oh shucks. <laughs> <laughs> but to get back to business, we have a BN12 asking a question. What do you think, or why do you think that the PlayStation 5 SSD speed advantage has not manifested in games yet? It has. With even it has exactly. With yeah. Even load times being genu generally very close to the Series X. That's the point. Which is also fast, but. Also, is Control Ultimate Edition being significantly smaller on PS5 a sign that other developers are not utilizing PS5 compression technology? It's a little bit odd. I, uh, it might be. I, uh, I, but I, yeah, I, yeah, Tom? I, I was going to say, the two games spring to mind immediately with the SSD loading. Not multi-plats, necessarily, but um, stuff like uh, Demon Souls and uh, with the fast loading between areas. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ratchet as well, I believe. Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man, yeah. I mean, the Ratchet stuff we've seen, yes, looks very impressive. Spider-Man yeah. was also unbelievably fast. Yeah. But even but games that aren't... But even games that aren't fully maybe taking advantage of the new APIs, like, they just benefit from the fast nature of that drive. Yeah. Right? And it's actually mm. comparable to... Like, if you actually benchmark these games, like, I think we saw with Tony Hawk, like, against, like, a PC with an NVMe drive, like, they all kind of fall around where you would expect giving the specs and yeah, this right. is without any of the extra api stuff on top of it so it feels like it's doing you know exactly it's still early days but <laughs> yeah. we see the advantage very yeah. clear yeah. it's light years beyond last generation i think i think uh just one thing i think the the person though like the speed difference advantage in comparison to series x i think that's what they're getting at and i just honestly don't think like uh if you're looking at these load times it doesn't feel like they're big is i think the example i used was what was the game? Marvel's Avengers, where there's a they they redid the their loading to actually use 
uh, like the lower level APIs. And you know, it was marginally faster on PlayStation 5, but that's only because you're looking at such low numbers already for loading. Uh, yeah, that's like that's gonna be it for a good long time, I think, unless for some reason a game is designed around like exclusively like enabling higher levels of detail via streaming, and even then, I don't even know because that's I, like. I think we'll we'll see some more interesting use of SSDs in general going forward. It's still early. Mm. Um, and it's it's nice that developers in general are kind of unshackled from those old mechanical drives now, so uh, design decisions can be made early on that would maybe choke an old drive, uh, but they don't have to worry about that anymore. And that that could have a, a pretty significant impact on the play experience. Like we might see fewer games that just have oh here's just a hard loading screen right here, uh, and they'll find other ways to work around that because they can fetch data fast enough. Yeah, I think uh, also uh, the, the the question regarding Control Ultimate Edition, we can't know that, uh, but I would just guess, yes, I've heard things about a certain level of availability in the PlayStation tools to compress your data easily versus that which is on the Microsoft side currently. So, yes. Cool. Um, next one comes from Joe Tanko. Uh, you guys and others have previously referenced not yet fully baked uh, Series X and Series S development tools, which explains why much of the early stuff coming out doesn't fully leverage the capabilities of the system. I think Phil Spencer even commented on it at one point in late 2020. At this point now, have you guys heard of any developments with the Xbox DevTools environment? And I think the answer is kind of yes. Yeah. But I don't know how much we can say. Uh, I can just say that I've heard... Uh, that uh, GPU compiler got better. Mm -hmm. That's that uh, was a big one. That's the compiler one. was. We'd heard plenty of complaints about this in the past. Yeah, on older machines as well. Yeah, so I've heard that got better. Uh, probably still it needs work to be done though, because uh, we haven't really seen direct storage usage uh, so much so yet. Maybe that's just because we're early gen, but you know, that's about it. I don't know. But I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't look at anything that's happening now and like pin hopes. I always think it's a little bit, it's it's not good to like pin false hopes on like, oh, well, this new dev kit's going to solve everything. Um, it's, it's already a very performant machine. And, you know, obviously things will improve in time as they typically do, but I don't think it's it's going to be like some radical shift. I, th I think a lot of the things are already there too. Uh, they just haven't been used yet because the games are not using them yet. Like yes, mesh exactly. shaders and variable rate shading. <laughs> you need to like integrate those into your engine and like think about it from design standpoint. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. it's going to take a while for Xbox Series X to be fully taken advantage of on the GPU side, definitely. Precisely. And, you know, well, I, I'm sure we'll see that soon enough. Yeah. So definitely keep an eye out. Uh, last question from Nirvanes. Uh, you guys are, sorry. Hey guys, I feel like most of the time movement slash traversal is the most important aspect in a game. It's one of the simplest yet hardest things to get right. With that said, what's your favorite run cycle, both from an animation and as a mechanic perspective? <laughs> um... <laughs> Gosh, I mean, I've, I, I've spoken about this at, at length in the past regarding how critical it is to get the movement right. 
the feel of a game the, the the feeling of locomotion is so critical to to enjoyment like you've got to nail that and i feel like it's it's a lot easier to put down a game when it, it when it fails at this when simple movement feels bad but when you pick up a game it just feels good to play you want to explore its content more so it, it's definitely important but nailing it as he said it's 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 quite challenging to get it quite right it takes yeah. a lot of trial and error and work I think, and refinement i think we're looking at with this question it's a good question by the way there's yeah, a tussle between uh how good it looks and how good it feels sometimes yeah mm -hmm. uh that trade-off between uh, a fluid animation one that transitions from other animations and uh one that actually feels snappy yeah and, like it's getting to the point of what you you told it to do um yeah i mean we, are we talking 3d games here or are we going back to 2d <laughs> doesn't matter Ellie card baby yeah. <laughs> i would say yeah i yeah. think so sonic and mario are like up there because purely yeah. because of motion and uh, i would say sonic especially is like his his animation feels so good like the way the the character bobs up and down a little bit as you move how he starts his run cycle you know he's sort of pushing forward you see his fists pumping you know it, it's clearly takes effort to get started but once you reach that certain point it switches to the blurred leg effect and no longer is it bobbing up and down like this. It's just a smooth glide. And he puts his yes. arms back and just kind of goes. And it really sort of translates this sensation of movement that feels really nice. And the mm. fact that you can roll into a ball and everything. And it's just the simple movement feels great. And you said Mario. And Mario is another good example. But not like I think Super Mario World is my favorite on that. Because uh, just the run cycle and just the simple movement when you jump the way his hat like on the on the frame of animation when he starts to fall the hat tips up just a little bit uh and just all the little flourishes that they put in there i, I yeah. really think it helps make I live, the game I, feel great i really live for that uh sort of turning point where mario's uh running anima uh, walking animation turns to a running because there's a snap like a definitive snap where it's suddenly like he'll take off after holding it for long enough uh, whereas Sonic, I think, is a bit more fluid. You know, it's a gradual build-up. Uh, but yeah, for modern games, I don't know. How, how do you guys feel? Is there any 3D... Like, Uncharted is, is something that came to mind, but there's, there's a sort of, it's a bit slower and a bit... I'd say for, it feels more animation-focused. For first-person games, I'd say the new Doom and Shadow Warrior yep. 2012... Or what great. was it? Not 2012. It's Shadow Warrior 2 is what I'm thinking about. Shadow it was 2016. Uh, so those like, you know, mid-air jump, air control, uh, also be able to, um, how do you call it? Was it dash? Like double dash even? I kind of like that a That's lot right. in first person games. Third person's harder though, because I always think there's like a slight, there's a, there's a less immediacy just by being in third person in general because it would look really weird if you saw like something like Doom in a third person perspective. So it's a little bit, there's always like a little bit more input latency there. Mm. Yeah, I kind of feel like um, just one example that springs to mind, Capcom did a really nice job with Devil May Cry 5. Like the way the way the running animation looks yes. in that and the way he plants yeah. his feet and the coat flutters in the oh. air. and oh, just and how, as animation. He, yeah. Yeah. Just the feel of running and the way it looks in motion is really, really nice. And it feels like he has weight at first and he also picks up momentum. Uh, and it just, they, they all look really good um, in general, just running around the map. 
Uh, I think uh, Metal Gear Solid Five also had a really good running animation. Oh, but phenomenal. This is, that's a pretty well, like, good controlling game as well, too, I'd say. Uh, you have a lot of freedom of movement and a lot of, like, specific things you can do. I think that was really nice. Actually, thinking of that, Death Stranding is another one because um, they really capitalized on um, making traversal part of the gameplay. And there's a lot of attention put into the, the foot placement and the way it sort of climbs up and down the terrain. So it feels good navigating that terrain and climbing a hill versus running across a plane versus running downhill. They all feel suitably different. Uh, and I found it very satisfying and the way they scale up the movement, depending on how much weight you're carrying. Uh, it's, it's a cool thing that felt neat and it actually added a lot to the gameplay. So yeah, that's, you know, that's just kind of a quick thing. That's a pretty complicated topic though. There's a lot more discussion. If I had a list in front of me of games, I yeah, could, more we could time. all come up with yeah. a lot more. Yeah, I was going to go with uh, Sekiro and uh, From Software titles. I, I really like that. Actually, yeah, and not just From, but the remake, the Demon Souls remake that yeah. uh, uh, Bluepoint did. That that basic run cycle and that feels awesome. It looks really good when you're just running along the world there. I, I think they did an awesome job there. Which is quite a... To a change of things compared to older from software titles because <laughs> i've been playing from software games going back to the original kingsfield uh and for a while their games had very stilted stiff animation um but yeah in general though i feel like for third person games i'm just gonna say i feel like japanese developers have traditionally done a better job with making that basic animations feel better and mm -hmm. it's there's a different focus when it comes to cat doing the mocap work or the animation. Uh, I think that there's just two slightly different approaches to how they artistically envision characters moving through the world. Uh, and you can uh, definitely see a difference. Like the, a lot of the U S developed and even Europeans, they have more of this like forceful, big personality stomping through the world, you know, kind of it's where a lot of the Japanese action games feel more elegant and, uh, more focused on this like fast precise movement more about um poses and such rather than like this forceful power uh yeah i think that that is a big difference in, in style stylistically but i would still like to praise at least the the gears games ever since like gears oh, yeah. three or so uh Those i mean you good. have like a very forced perspective because it's always behind your character um it's not like you're spinning the camera so much so around but uh it is it is very enjoyable to like pop in and out of uh cover in those games more than any other cover-based third-person shooters i've played uh it's really good so yeah. i think they i think they did a good job there yeah they have the weight of slamming into a barrier is something for sure that gears narrow. like yeah. when you take cover he like boom, like slams into cover and it feels awesome so i really like that as well um yeah Although I just have to joke, the opposite of this is the original Hitman games, like Hitman 1 and 2 especially, those things had like the worst locomotion. <laughs> it was like crazy feet. When you look at his legs, they just kind of like all over the place. It didn't connect with anything. And I love those games, but man, that, that third-person animation. Bad animation, yeah. Very bad animation at the time. Actually, but that was, 
that was a problem with a lot of those early systemic games. Like I think we always joked about Deus Ex. Yeah. But that's charming alert, in Deus Ex. For some reason, it's, it's charming, so charming. But yeah. when you alert an enemy, they go into the full-on run cycle, like a sprint, but they rotate on an axis, like while they're sprinting as they turn their attention to yeah. you, and it, it looks like terrible. But I also love it. Yeah, it's, Half-Life has the same problem, and it's until, so like, funny. Until actually recently, this makes me laugh. But uh, until recently, in Half-Life, your frame rate dictated enemy turn rates. Uh, so oh, yes. yeah, they finally fixed this in a patch like a year I forgot ago. About that. Uh, so like, if you would play at anything higher frame rate, like enemies would just like be like, like gro- grown towards you for like over half a minute. It's yeah, pretty fun. Yeah. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me on this. And of so, course, it was my turn yeah, to anytime. host, I guess. So you guys were great. Lots to say. It was a fun chat. Um, of course, uh, big thanks to the patrons for writing in and supporting the show and. Yeah, definitely give us a look over there and maybe come hang out in the really cool Patreon community that we're working on. And again, we'll have more details on that soon. But if you enjoyed this specific video, as always, like, subscribe, ring the notification bell, all that good stuff. Uh, And we will see you once again next week. Absolutely. So that's a cool thing. Wait, hold on. Doorbell's ringing. Let me check. I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, one of uh, one of those packages? Is it going to be Crazy yeah. Frog Racer Three, oh, yeah. Mark Two, <laughs> Two Thousand Edition? Something I'm really like excited that. now.